We're going to continue now in our, our sermon series. And like I said to the boys and girls, we're looking at the name for God, which is Jehovah Rapha this morning. Last week, we, we looked at Moses in Exodus 3 when Moses saw the, the burning bush. And God spoke to him from this burning bush and asked him to go back to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let God's people go. And we're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. If you've got your Bibles, you're welcome to turn to that just now. But where we are in Exodus 15, what's taken place is since we were saw Moses last week up until now, the plagues have taken place. Um, the Israelites have left Egypt. They've, they've, they've crossed the, the Red Sea. They've seen God's miraculous power in splitting the sea for them to get through. And then uh, God defeating their enemies by bringing the sea back on them. Um, they've seen God's mighty hand. They're now out of oppression. They're out of slavery. They're now on the journey in freedom. They're being led by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. It did not leave them. God's presence was with them every step of the way. And in the beginning of chapter 15, with, along with Moses, the people have worshipped, they've praised God and celebrated the victory that he has given them on their behalf. And then we come to Exodus 15, verse 22. Let's read these words together. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Then the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Amen. May God bless his word to us this morning. The Red Sea is now behind them. Slavery is now behind them. They're an ever-growing distant memory. Every step they take, they're coming further away from what they had experienced in slavery, and they're getting closer and closer to the hope and the promise that God had given them as his people. We read in verse 20, 22 that, that God had, uh, uh, the, the people had walked for, for three days in the wilderness. And what I love about the Lord is that he already told Moses this in Exodus chapter 3, if we can remember back to reading that chapter last week. He'd already told them that they would walk in the wilderness for three days. He already told them what was going to happen. And they've, they've walked for, for three days in the wilderness. And then we see this problem that they have. It doesn't take long for the grumbling and the moaning to begin. They have run out of water. Not a problem we have here in Scotland. We get a lot of water, but they had run out. They had been uh, traveling for three days. The supplies they had taken have now run out. And they begin to grumble. 
And God very simply is teaching him this lesson about walking with him and enjoying his benefits. That is one of the basic principles in our passage this morning about what it means to walk with God and to enjoy his benefits. But their grumbling gets ridiculous. We see here that God does give them water in, in Mara. He, he does give it to them. But in chapter 16, they then begin to grumble that there's no food and they've run out of food. And, and actually, it gets to the point where they say that, let's go, you know, it was better to be in slavery, Moses. You know, you're bringing us out here to uh, basically starve us to death as a people. God then provides bread from heaven for them. And then chapter 17, they begin to get thirsty again. And what happens? They begin to moan. They begin to grumble. And they're ready to stone Moses. They're they're that angry with him. And then God tells Moses to hit a rock uh, with a staff and water comes out of this rock. It's something that they do a lot. Maybe you're not like them. I know I am. But this sense of grumbling and moaning when things don't seem to be going our own way. But at this point, they've just witnessed the Red Sea being parted. They'd seen God's power, and they're now thirsty. Now, from a human point of view, I sympathize with the people of Israel. I'm sure you can understand as well their worry that they'd now traveled for three days and they didn't have any water. We could maybe say, human speaking, that's a fair enough concern to have. But friends, that's often the problem with many of our fears is that we look at them from a human point of view. They shouldn't have been looking at it from a human point of view. They should have been looking at it from who their God was. He was Yahweh, the great I am. That's who God revealed himself to Moses to go and tell the people of Israel. That's who sent me, the great I am. I am who I am. I'm self-existent. I don't rely on rain for water. What we're meant to have is heaven's perspective on our earthly realities. And they should have been trusting that their God, who was Jehovah Jireh, he revealed himself, uh, Abraham had spoken about this many, many years before, but God was still the same. He was Jehovah Jireh. He's still the God who provides. And they come to this place called Marah, and it's named after the water source there because the water was bitter. That's what Marah means. Um, And it was named after the bitter water. And then they begin to grumble and they, they ask, you know, why are we here? What are we going to drink? And, and, and what I find fascinating is that they go to Moses and they start to complain at Moses as if it's Moses' fault. They go as if it was Moses that, was, that, that had led them to that place. We have to remember that the pillar of fire and the cloud of smoke, it was still leading them. It was still, the, 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 the God's presence visibly was still what was guiding them. But they go to Moses and they complain at Moses. And actually, what they're doing here is they're, they're putting an active disbelief and they're actively kind of disobeying God. They are questioning Him. Why, are you, why is God taking us to this place? As if we don't trust Him to provide our every need. So Moses cries to the Lord, and you'll see what the, the, how Lord is spelt here, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. We said last week when we see that that's the name of Yahweh in our English translation. So Moses cries to Yahweh, and Yahweh shows him this log, and we see this supernatural miracle take place where Moses chucks this log into the bitter water, and the water becomes sweet that they can drink it. 
as amazing as that miracle is, it was all part of a test. And actually the greatest thing and the greatest thing of importance is, is, is what happens next and what God says to his people here at the end of verse 25 and into verse 26. Where God says, There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. The Lord in Yahweh made with them a statute and a rule, the English says, and it says that he'd, and there he tested them. The test is, is this lack of water that they've gone through. The test is now past tense. They've been through the test and we could say that they've kind of failed it because they're grumbling and they're not trusting Jehovah Jireh. They're not trusting that God's going to provide and they're questioning God's provision for them, God's guidance and God's leading in what they're seeing here. All of that is encapsulated here in their moans and their groans. Friends, see when we moan and groan in church, let's be careful that we're not questioning who God is and what God is saying and where God's leading us. He's sovereign and we trust him. Now, Uh, we see here that God in the English says that he made a statute and a rule. The English adds a wee bit of confusion here because when we read that, it looks like God does two things here, a statute and a rule. But actually, what's happening in the Hebrew is what you call a hendiadus. There's a fancy word for you on a Sunday morning, a hendiadus. And what that means is... There's a singular concept expressed by two or more words. So God is doing one thing here, but we are expressing it by using two or more words. So what God was saying here is he is asking for their commitment and their loyalty. He's asking for their obedience. Trust me. Walk in my ways. Follow me. Follow what I say to you. Our trust should even go to the point where we walk for three days and have no water, but still trust that God is going to provide for us. Now that is an extreme test of trust. But that is what God was doing here. He was testing them to see how deep-rooted their trust in Him was. Because we see ultimately in verse 27 that God was leading them to this abundance of water. If only they'd kept their mouth shut, their eyes focused on him and trusted in him. They were going to this place that's called Elam where there was 12 springs of water. 70 palm trees. There was an abundance of water. But again, it shows us when we wait And our waiting isn't in the Lord. Frustration arises. But when we wait upon the Lord, Scripture tells us strength rises. He's leading to this abundance of water. And in God calling for their their obedience, he says, I will offer you my divine protection. You are my people. My hand is over you. 
And it is the outworking of the motto of the covenant that God has established. What God has said throughout Scripture, it's this beautiful phrase we see um, happen over the pages of Scripture, is that I will be their God and they will be my people. And everything God is doing is he is outworking this covenant motto about how he wants him to be our God. The only one we focus on, the only one we listen to, the only one we follow. And he wants us to walk in his ways so that we can be his people. It's a beautiful partnership. It's a beautiful relationship. I will be their God and they will be my people. Give ear to my commands. Follow me. I will put none of the diseases on you that I will put that I put on the Egyptians. Now don't misunderstand this because we could warp this and it, these, this kind of thing has been warped in the church where it gets to kind of works-based salvation where we think we need to work in order to earn God's blessing and work in order to earn God's salvation and work in order to um, get God's love. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is that when we as God's people, you know, because faith without works is dead. And actually your faith should be visible in how you live your life. And how you live your life is contained in this book. That is how God wants you to live. And actually by living like that, you show your faith to the world. You show that you're trusting in him, that you're following him because your faith without works. Your faith has works, sorry, because your faith is alive. But faith without works is dead. And, and that's effectively what God is saying here is, is follow me, trust me and live how I want you to live. Show me that you're obedient. Show me that you're loyal to me. By allowing me and the world to see that you follow the commands that I give. The understanding is that when we live with God, there is blessings upon blessings upon blessings. But when we step out of God and we step away from him and out of his will, then we're not with him. We're living against him. And there's consequences for that. Friends, walking on his paths of righteousness is walking on a blessed path. It's not always an easy path. It's not always a path that's got the bed of roses alongside it. Sometimes we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's as much the path of righteousness as lie down in the green pastures and the still waters. But walking in the paths of righteousness is walking on paths of many blessings and knowing his benefits. Why? Because his rod and his staff are there to comfort us. His presence never leaves us. And here we have God then reveal, for I am the Lord, your healer. I am Yahweh Rapha would be a way to understand that we kind of have coined Yahweh as Jehovah. I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord, your healer. Or another way simply is, I am the Lord, your doctor. <laughs> I love that kind of understanding of it. I'm the Lord, your doctor. Now remember the context of everything that's been going on here. The test was they seen this bitter water and a log was thrown in it. And then the water became sweet enough to drink. 
And then God says, I wouldn't do to you what I did to the Egyptians. And, and it makes us think of the plagues, but particularly I think the reference here is to the turning of the river uh, Nile into, uh, from water into, into blood. I wouldn't do that to you, for I am your healer. And the amazing thing is what God is saying is, I am, I am God, and I made drinkable water undrinkable for the Egyptians to show my power. But actually, I'm your healer. And what I do for you as my people is I turn undrinkable water drinkable by my power for you. Because I am your healer. He made drinkable water undrinkable for the Egyptians, but for his people, he made undrinkable water drinkable. Because he is Jehovah Rapha. He is the Lord, their doctor. He is the Lord, their healer. This is something that God declares. He says, I am your healer. Now we're going to spend a, week, a few moments this morning just unpacking what that means and, and how we see that at work throughout Scripture. One of the Psalms that I love says, Psalm 103, Praise the Lord, my soul, all in my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Now, the psalmist here points at two different things. The healing of sins, or forgiving of sins, and the healing of all your diseases. So we're going to spend a few moments this morning just journeying through that and what that means and what that looks like for us today. Now this word Rapha is, can be, we can translate as healer. The Lord your healer. But it can also mean to restore. It means more about healing, but it can mean to restore. And I think we also, th also see this encapsulated in Psalm 23. The Lord who restores my soul. That's what the good shepherd does. He restores my soul. God is Jehovah Rapha. He is the one who heals. And this is the thread we see throughout the pages of Scripture. This is part of the hope of the coming of the Messiah that we see in the Old Testament. It's one of the things that's ascribed to the coming of the Messiah. And I think in the most simplistic, I'm a very simple person, in the most simplistic ways this morning, we see God heal in three ways in Scripture. What I would call spiritual healing, the restoring of your soul, what I would call inner healing or emotional healing, and what we call physical healing, that kind of outer healing. And we're going to spend some time just looking at, looking at these three different ways in, in Scripture. Spiritual is one that none of us would disagree with. Because it's kind of what we understand that Jesus came to, to forgive us for our sins and, and make us right with God. He forgives our sins. He, he brings us back to, to, to spiritual life. We were dead in our transgressions, but by his mercy and by his blood, he has restored our souls. He is our healer and he has made us come alive in Christ. Isaiah 53 would be a verse that many of us would know, uh, and the words will hopefully appear before you, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, 
Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Now, many of us would understand that that's, that's talking about the spiritual dynamic of what God does, that he brings us from, from um, under, being under the wages and the curse of sin, and he brings us into life through what Christ did at the cross of Calvary with us. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. So that's the spiritual dynamic of what God's healing touch does. And healing is part of the kingdom that Jesus brought, the kingdom that Jesus ushered in, the kingdom that he inaugurated. It is part of the kingdom of God. That's, that's, it's part of the kingdom that we pray, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. And we see that from Mark chapter 2. We see that this is part of Jesus' ministry. Where verse 17 it says, and Jesus just earlier on in Mark chapter 2 has physically healed someone. Jesus heard it. He said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And again, we have this kind of understanding here that this is the, the spiritual dynamic of God's healing that he brings to his people. Part of the sickness that we have is the sickness of sin. But God, through his grace and mercy, brings that restora restoration, that healing touch to our lives. So that's spiritual. We have the kind of inner healing or emotional healing. And, and again, it's not something that we would disagree with. We would, we would understand that and we would expect that because we pray things like Jesus being the prince of peace. That he brings peace to those who are distressed, those who are troubled. That he brings that healing touch to the sore parts in our hearts, in our lives. That he brings joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's part of the healing that he brings us. We say it, or I say it every single funeral I'm in, and it's always part of my prayer, that blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's part of the healing process that God brings, and the power that he has, that even the parts inside us, he can restore, he can heal and we're normally okay with the first two of those. We're okay with God doing the spiritual stuff. We're okay with God doing the inner stuff. But often where people stop now is when we get on to the third one. Which is the physical healing. The outer healing that God's presence and God's healing touch can bring. We don't really see any pushback on the spiritual or the emotional side of things. But on the physical side of things, people would say, well, that was just for Jesus and the apostles. That stopped then. God doesn't do that kind of stuff anymore. Just listen to my sermon and you'll be okay. And off you go home. But this isn't just a thing that God did in the days of the early church. To give them a bit of credibility. It's part of his nature. He is Jehovah Rapha. He is the God who heals. And he's not ceased being Jehovah Rapha. He is still Jehovah Rapha. He is still the God who heals. 
And it's not just in the New Testament that Jesus did healing. We see God heal within the Old Testament, particularly one of the ones that we think about is uh, Second Samuel, uh, I think it's chapter 12, when, when David is pleading with God to physically heal his son. He's not speaking about the spiritual or the emotional stuff. He's pleading with God, would you physically heal my son? That's why in Psalm 103, David says, he heals your sin and he, he, he forgives your sin and he heals all your diseases. David had this understanding that God's healing touch didn't stop at, in, in my innermost being. Actually, he can do it for my physical appearance as well. Friends, this isn't Pentecostal. This is biblical. And I've purposely picked Bits of scripture all over the place this morning to show that this isn't just something that God did in the old days or the Old Testament, but it's part of who he is and it's part of his kingdom breaking out in our lives. That healing can take place. Friends, don't redact your faith to a mere intellectual experience or exercise but hear Scripture, be transformed by the reading of Scripture, and live it out. May it impact your prayer life. God, you are Jehovah Rapha, and I come to you this morning. Would you bring your healing touch where it's needed? And we see that this isn't just part of what God did in the Old Testament and then stopped with the, 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 the early church. We see in John chapter 14 where Jesus says, just after him saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the Father. Now I know that that's not speaking about the works of the cross of Calvary because I can't do that. That was only Jesus that could do that. This is something that God has gifted to his church. Not just to the apostles, but to the church. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians, he doesn't write to a committee of apostles, but he's writing to the body of Christ in Corinth. He's speaking to the everyday punter who sits on the pew. Now there are various varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to the other, another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. It's something he has gifted his church. So why don't we see them active here today? Because I think we've redacted our faith to a mere intellectual exercise. We get a good wee sermon and we go home for our Sunday roast. But these things and who our God is should impact how we pray, how we live. Living out his statutes, his commands, his rules. 
seeing his kingdom advance and expand. And then in James chapter 5, we see James speak about the prayer of faith when praying for those who are unwell. Now I want to say, faith exists within God's sovereignty. Faith exists and works and operates within God's sovereignty. Your faith is not greater than the sovereignty of God. And it's really important we learn that and understand that principle and that truth. Why? Because there are times when people aren't healed. There are times for reasons we do not know when our prayers of faith, they aren't answered in the way that we expect them to be done so. And I want to say it isn't because of a lack of faith. That is such a damaging thing that's been taught in parts of the church. That if someone hasn't been healed, it's because you have a lack of faith. That is not biblical. Faith operates within God's sovereignty. One of the things we see when David pleads with God in 2 Samuel 12, God, would you heal my child? But do you know how that story ends? The child isn't healed. Why? It's not because David didn't have enough faith. But it's because God is sovereign. And he is working out his plans in his ways. In ways that we will never understand because we are mere human beings. Friends, it is not our faith that heals. It is God who heals. Because he is Jehovah Rapha. It wasn't the log that made that water sweet. It was God. It was Yahweh. The log was a mere vessel. Friends, don't be offended by this. We are just God's logs in this place. We are just his vessels. Asking for his kingdom to be at work. It wasn't the log that transformed that water into drinkable water. It was God's miraculous power. And ultimately, sickness and illness is fruit of a much deeper root issue. And that root issue is sin. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that if you're sick or ill, there must be a hidden sin in your life. That's not what I'm saying. But you are sick and ill because of sin. Because we live in a fallen world. And we experience the consequences of that. There are things that happen to us because we've been born into this fallen and sinful world. Our bodies fail us. They're not perfect. But we pray for God's kingdom to come. And with that, signs and wonders will happen. Because that's who our God is. He is Jehovah Rapha. Miracles will happen. But as God sees them fit. I know even some of you here this morning could testify to being healed by God. You've experienced this healing touch. I know what you've told me. But I know there's some of us here who, who haven't experienced healing, even though we've prayed or been prayed for. Why is that? It's because we live in this in-between space. We live in what we call in theology the now-not-yet aspect of God's kingdom. 
That although we pray for God's kingdom to come, although our king is all-conquering and all-victorious, we don't live in the fullness of his kingdom yet. But that is the greatest thing about our God being Jehovah Rapha, friends. We experience in this side of eternity breakthrough moments. We experience glimpses. We experience signs. We see wonders. We see God answer prayer. And it's like the season we're in now. Where (laughs) it's still wintry. We just had snow a few days ago. But we see spring. Rearing its head. Every now and again. This morning you wake up and it feels like a glorious spring morning. But I wouldn't be surprised if we woke up to a blizzard tomorrow morning. Because we're not fully in spring yet. The daffodils are poking their head up out of the soil. We catch that odd glimpse of sun in the sky. We see the snowdrops again ready to blossom. Spring's almost here. We're closer to spring now than we've been in a long, long time. It's like that with God's kingdom. We see aspects and glimpses of it at work. And we're closer now than we've ever been. But they're not there in its fullness yet. But the amazing thing about Jehovah Rapha is that there's a day coming when we'll fully experience the truth and reality of Jehovah Rapha. When we enter into his kingdom in all of its fullness. Either when he returns or when he calls us home. With this I finish. There's something someone in this congregation said to me that I will never forget. And it will stay with me every day of my life. A few years ago I was visiting someone and they were speaking about a loved one who needed to go and get a complex operation on their eyes. There was a chance the person wouldn't survive. And they said to me this. They fully believed their loved one would see after the operation. Fully believed. They just weren't sure whether they'd see the doctor's face or the face of Jesus. Our God is Jehovah Rapha. He is the God who heals. He heals now and today. But there's a day coming. We enter into his kingdom and as Revelation 21 says. And friends, this is your hope. If you are sore and painful this morning and your body's failing you. And it's just an effort to get up out of bed. But you know Christ. This is the hope you have. Because your God is Jehovah Rapha. He is the God who heals He will wipe away every tear from your eye. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. We see aspects of God's kingdom here and now. Because it's in his nature and it's who he is. But friends, there's a day coming. When we enter into The healing of Jehovah Rapha in all of its fullness. And what a glorious day that will be. Finish then thy new creation till in heaven we take our place. 
casting down our crowns before you, lost in wonder, love, and praise.